Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome, everybody. Today is the 7th of August, 2015. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet today are Doug, Tiffany, and Erica. Uh, Gabby can't be with us today, so we'll miss her. Um, today we're going to connect the dots. So we're going to talk about some topics in uh, recent news and just kind of draw some parallels between different things in the health world that are going on right now. Um, we've got uh, GMOs. We've got some stuff about migraines. Um, we've got some new stuff about corporate lobbying, some news about that. And then we'll talk about gut bacteria, disease outbreaks, and a few other things uh, as we go through the show, so let's uh, let's start out today um, with some information about GMO labeling. Um, Doug, you want to get us started on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so there was an article published on the SOT Health and Wellness section on uh, July 27th, um, originally published uh, on Natural Society article by uh, Christina Sarich. And it's called Your Votes Don't Count. Politicians Against Labeling of GMOs Were Huge Beneficiaries of Big Ag Donations. No big surprise there. So the article basically just points out how um, the, uh, well, I'll just quote from it here. Um, the author says, shockingly or perhaps not to individuals who have been observing biote the biotech charade, House members who voted to keep the public from knowing what is in their food in the latest landslide win for big food supporters of the, uh, the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015, um, which critics are calling Dark Deny Americans the Right to Know Act, uh, were paid three times as much as representatives who voted to give us the right to label or ban GMO foods. So no big surprise there. Um, all the House members who uh, voted for this uh, um, ironically named Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act um, were actually paid three times as much as representatives who voted against it. Um, and uh, the author goes on to say that it seems odd that the bill would float through Congress so easily with 275 to 150 vote when so many Americans have expressed a wish to have their food labeled. Uh, the Center for Food Safety says that 93% of Americans want their food labeled if it contains GM ingredients. Uh, and that is just one of many surveys uh, the article goes on to point out a bunch of uh, surveys that have been done in the past. Uh, the New York Times had 93% uh, uh, found to be in support of labeling GMOs. Uh, MSNBC did a similar vote and 96% supported it. Um, Reuters, NPR, 93% um, in full support of GMO labeling. Uh, Washington Post, 95% of full labeling, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a, there's a whole list here of all these different ones. Um, and it just goes to show how incredibly, uh, the, the, I mean, it's not maybe that incredible. It's pretty, um, listeners of this show are pretty familiar with this, but, you know, all these House members who um, are supposed to be representing the people, uh, it's such a clear divide here on what's actually being put through and what um, Americans actually want. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's pretty disgusting, but, but kind of uh, um, just the way things are, are going right now. Um, the article goes on to actually out a lot of the reps who um, benefited, uh, who got uh, the, the extra money um, 
I, I'm not going to go through a list of all of them right now, but uh, I, I kind of urge people to kind of look up this uh, article or kind of take a look, especially if you're American, and see if your representative is actually um, representing what you want or what uh, the majority of, uh, of people in your constituent actually want. Um, you know, some of these reps are, receive uh, um, six-figure dollar amounts um, for, from providers of agricultural services. Um, during the 2014 election cycle, um, and other ones were pulling in six-figure dollar, uh, six dollar amounts from uh, crop production and basic industry. Um, two original uh, sponsors of the legislation, the Dark Act, were uh, two uh, the top two current House members receiving the most money from Grocery Manufacturers Association. So, yeah, it's not really uh, too surprising. Um, but I know Erica has some more um, information on this uh, um, Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act. Um, so Erica, did you want to go into that? Yeah. Well, one thing that was interesting in the article is uh, talking about the GMA, the Gro Grocery Manufacturers Association. And just this year alone, they spent $4.1 million lobbying uh, on these issues. And... Mm. Um, Back in uh, 2012, you know, California was going through a labeling initiative, and I had an opportunity to be there and see uh, some speakers about it. And the tone of the um, conference was really about, you know, everybody wanted it, like you said. All these, mm -hmm. um, you know, 95% of Americans wanted this labeling, and uh, the GMA was very forcefully involved in that California bill not passing and it didn't pass which is surprising you know since so mm. many people wanted it but you see with this kind of lobbying money that really consumers don't have any rights you know what i mean they really confuse mm -hmm. the issue in california by saying putting a gmo label on a product would cost the consumer more which is total bs so basically yeah. the dark the dark act just overrides any state and local GMO labeling laws, and, and it also regulates mm -hmm. the, um, the the use of the term natural on food labels, which we've talked about mm -hmm. in previous shows, like things like nanoparticles, are those considered natural or not? And um, basically, the legislation preempts any state and local restrictions and require, uh, labeling requirements, so it's, it's obviously a rigged game. One thing that a mm -hmm. representative... Peter Welch said, a Democrat from Vermont, who they've been really pushing for GMO labeling, especially this year, is that fundamentally this legislation takes away from, from your state and mine the ability to do what we believe is right in the interest of our consumers and let them know what they're buying. So it looks like just another rigged game, you know. And once they call you know, why they call it the Dark Act is because they want to keep consumers in the dark and just keep pushing through mm -hmm. these seriously questionable products. Yeah, I think that was exactly. one of Obama's uh, campaign promises that if you wanted mm -hmm. to know what was in your food, you had your you had the right to do so. But uh, um, he went ahead and he signed the the Monsanto Protection Act, which mm -hmm. gives Monsanto the right to grow and distribute genetically modified crops even if there is evidence about how damaging it is and nobody can stop them. So in a way, I kind of have a problem with this whole labeling thing, 
I mean, I think it's good that people should know what's in their food, whether it has GMOs or nanotech or anything in there, but it doesn't stop the fact that GMOs are still being grown and still polluting the planet. And even if you do, you know, choose to buy it anyway with a label on it, GMOs are still there. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, yeah, in fact, there was a recent uh, article in, um, on Washington's blog that said 80% of food in the U.S. contains some form of GMO, and that was official testimony. So, um, you know, the, e- even if it is labeled, um, you know, there's going to be uh, some issues there because, you know, there's the contamination issue. So, you know, if they're not mm-hmm. actually doing any kind of genetic testing um, on the, the foods, then they're not necessarily going to know if there's GMOs in it. All they'll know is that what they deliberately put GMOs in there or not. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've got 80% of the food uh, that has GMOs in it, avoiding it becomes a greater and greater issue. Um, even, mm-hmm. you know, if it, if it is labeled, um, which, you know, I, I highly doubt it ever will be. But this report <laughs> shows that... Um, uh, between 2008 and 2009, 95% of all sugar beets planted were genetically engineered to be able to tolerate high doses of pesticide Roundup. Um, the USDA reports that 93% of all soy and 85% of all corn grown in the U.S. Um, is a herbicide-resistant GE variety. Um, and 93% of all cottonseed oil, more than 90% of all canola oil produced in the U.S. is a herbicide-resistant GMO. So, yeah, the, the, just the sheer quantity of it out there is just overwhelming. Yeah. And like you, Doug, I don't think it'll be, it'll be labeled ever. But even if it no. does, I think it'll just be like something to kind of, you know, make people feel better that maybe they, you know, they lobbied and they, they talked to their representatives and the food ended up labeled. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just, I don't know. Palliate, well, palliating or trying to please people, and really it should just be banned outright. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I, I know some some people have kind of said that the whole um, movement to have it labeled is actually a distraction. Um, you know, you yeah. put everybody who's against these things puts all their energy into the whole labeling campaign, which is probably a dead end. Um, when really what they should be doing is is you know fighting to have these things banned and, and get rid of them completely. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, Joel Salatan, actually, the lunatic farmer, he's written several books. One of them is Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. He kind of chimed in on this whole thing that it's just more and more regulation and and that's what we need less of, not more of, you know, because he's Mm. a a farmer that raises, you know, free-range animals and he just talks extensively about how this whole labeling thing is like you said just a distraction it's not really dealing with the core issue which is the fact that these crops are being grown and and Mm -hmm. you know recently on the science page there was an article even more toxic chemicals set to enter Mm -hmm. the food supply from alliance for national health and you know basically it's like Every month, it seems like a new type of herbicide comes out, uh, whether it's 2,4-D or dicamba or various uh, different types of Agent Orange, and they just keep passing and going into the to the crops, and you know they just change the name so people don't really know what it is. But I think that is a, is a major concern that you're not only eating these you know, Franken foods, but you're getting massive amounts of pesticide toxicity in, in the process. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I think it comes down to also. Sorry, go ahead, Ted. If um, people out there who eat a bunch of processed foods don't really care what they put in their mouths, do they even read labels anyway? I mean, mm. really, would they care? No. And secondly, yeah. if you eat 100% certified organic whole foods, you'd be avoiding most uh, GMOs anyway. So, mm. yeah. That's just another aspect to it. Yeah, and it's it's crazy too because the whole their their whole method, like their whole the whole way of of kind of um, approaching the problem, is just to go with more and more of their chemicals. You know, they they produce this Roundup, um, so they produce these GM uh, seeds that are able to resist uh, Roundup. And that just leads to super weeds that can kind of resist the Roundup as well. So then they have to create a new um, herbicide um, or, like Erica said, just kind of relabel the old one and, and maybe ramp it up more. So it just leads to more and more of this toxic stuff having to be sprayed to be able to, uh, to deal with the, the growing problem of these super weeds. And uh, it, it's like a never-ending escalator, you know. Everything just keeps on ramping up more and more and more. You end up with more and more of these pesticides in your food. Um, and more and more toxicity for the end consumer. Um, you know, it's, it's so clear that they don't have any kind of plan for anything. It's just their their approach is just like, well, you know, ramp it up. That's it. You know, uh, things aren't working well, so let's just keep doing what we were doing, but uh, more so. And it, it's just, it's crazy. It's absolute insanity. And, you know, the end is just going to be just a complete and total crash of the ecosystem in general. You know, it's a convenient metaphor, but it, it makes me think of the, the movie Idiocracy, if our listeners yeah. have seen that. It's a, you know, by all rights, it's a, it's a pretty dumb movie, but it's it's funny and it's yeah. kind of poignant in, in some ways. Um, and it makes, you know, I caught myself wondering, like, well, when are we going to get to the point where we're actually water, trying to water crops with energy drink, you know, and, and not yeah. realizing that they that they need water and not, you know, a soda? But um, it's, it's got electrolytes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a in a weird way, we're actually already kind of there. I mean, if you think about it, you yeah. know, like, it, it, when you really put your mind to the uh, to the issue, well, yeah, it, it, generating a a crop that can withstand more and more pesticides, so that when it comes to your table, um, you know, it's ready for dinner time, and it's got it's covered in toxic chemicals that you can't wash this stuff off. I mean, you can wash your lettuce, you know, or your beets or whatever, but it's not coming off. It's in the food. Um, yeah. that, that that would trigger some kind of a a logical uh, conclusion in people's minds, but it doesn't. And um, it makes me think about the, uh, the, you know, from the point from the first article, uh, the whole voting thing, that your vote doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> like, where is this cognitive dissonance coming from where people all year long will say, yeah, politicians are dirty and yeah, they're sleazy and yeah, you can buy them off and they don't have our best interests in mind and, you know, they lie and all these things. And then when election day comes around or when there's a bill to be voted on, they're like, hey, I voted for that. You know, it's like yeah. what, you forgot everything else that you said, you know, the last 12 months. Or, or sign this petition or write to your congressman to say yeah. no to this bill and none of it works. I mean, people have yeah. been, you know, protesting and signing petitions for years and years and years, and things just get worse and worse. So what good does it do? Yeah. Yeah, it's like when exactly. do people actually clue in? 
And I have to think that the food itself is contributing to this. I mean, you know, we, we've seen mm. studies and, and are familiar with the fact that a lot of the food in the, the what is it, the, the, West, the modern Western diet, the SAD diet, standard American diet, mm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, depletes brain function. And uh, so is it, is it any wonder that people seem like, by and large, they're, they're not able to, um, to really think anymore or draw mm-hmm. rational conclusions between what they perceive and kind of what actions they take. Yeah. Yeah, there's another actual uh, um, interesting article up um, posted July 15th um, from Natural Blaze, um, and it says, new research shows GMO uh, soy accumulates carcinogenic formaldehyde and depletes glutathione. So this just goes to show, like just expanding on your point there, uh, Jonathan, that uh, it's actually the food itself, you know. You can't wash it off the pesticides or anything, but the actual uh, GM foods are, um, are are tainted in such a way that they're going to harm you if you eat them, even if you could get all the, the pesticides off them or the herbicides, whatever it may be. Um, the article goes into a peer-reviewed journal um, article uh, called Agricultural Sciences, um, and it reveals that uh, genetic engineering of soy disrupts the plant's natural ability to control stress. It invalidates the FDA's regulatory framework of a substantial equivalence used to approve genetically engineered foods. And I think this is a really interesting um, article because the whole substantial equivalence thing, the, the, the argument of um, you know, all the pro-GMO uh, um, uh, you know, lobbies and things is that um, they don't need to study the effects of any GMOs or, any, um, or uh, look at any kind of studies or conduct any studies at all on how they affect people because they are substantially equivalent to the regular um, grown crops. So their idea is that we don't need to look any, any deeper into this because um, these foods are the same thing. You know, there's a, a genetically modified tomato is exactly the same as a regular tomato, so no safety studies have to be done. But this article actually points out that there are studies showing that they are not substantially equivalent. So that whole argument that these things don't need to be studied is, is a complete house of cards. And, I mean, we've known this for a long time. There's been lots of studies that have shown all kinds of um, different, uh, different effects from uh, eating these GMO uh, foods. Uh, it goes all the way back to when GMOs were first introduced. Um, and what the, the researcher, I think his name was, uh, I can't remember what his name, like Ar- Arpsad Pustai or something like that. Um, shoot, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. But um, he, yeah, he basically that's his name. found that. Oh, that was his name. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah he, he did a study where he was feeding um, GMO potatoes uh, to mice. And the amount of damage that it was doing, like all this organ damage, um, fertility issues, like all this crazy stuff that was happening. And, you know, he came forward, like just out of his own conscience and said, yeah, this stuff is really messing people up. And he got attacked and, you know, his name was smeared and he was uh, completely, um, yeah, just smeared in, in, in the public perception. So um, it, it just goes to show, like, that the, these, these foods are so damaging and it's like a complete uh, whitewash to uh, to say otherwise. Um, so I, I thought that article was very interesting. Yeah, it is a whitewash. I think I read somewhere, and I don't have it in front of me, but when they say substantially equivalent, they're not talking about the food's effect on your body. They're talking about if it looks the same, tastes the same, mm. smells the same, feels the same, and then they just stop there. They consider those mm. things substantially equivalent, not 
the fact that it turns your guts into a GMO producing yeah. factory once you eat GMO foods. They don't yeah. even put that into the equation. Yeah, apparently the whole term of substantial equivalence comes from back in the 1970s, and it was used to um, evaluate like uh, um, medical devices and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it wasn't even intended for what it's being used for right now. And that's the crazy thing too, is that there, as I've shared before, there's options to produce food without all these toxic chemicals. But it's like our show last week about big pharma being like mafia. Big ag is the same way. I mean, they have so mm -hmm. much control mm -hmm. and so much lobbying money, and there's so much at stake. You know that there's been so much research about how organic food can feed the masses, how it can be grown without all these toxic chemicals, and, and those studies are just shot down. Those people are ridiculed, you know. The food may not look the same, you know. You have a deformed zucchini or whatever, but the bottom line is that we don't need this stuff, you know, that the, the research at, and is out there. I mean, we know from being organic farmers for 20-plus years is you can produce food without all these toxic chemicals. It's just not mm -hmm. a, a moneymaker for, for big ag, you know. So they, mm -hmm. they use those same type of mafia tactics to get these bills passed and, you know, just look at that article you started off with. I mean, 93% of people don't want it. So why is mm -hmm. it still so pervasive? Yeah. Yeah, it's not like changing our tactics here would send us back to the Stone Age, you know, and every, everybody would have to, well, Stone Age being kind of a metaphor, but you know what I mean? Like, like everybody would have to scrape and get their hands dirty every day to grow their own food and there'd be no time to do anything else. It's totally not true. We can still mm -hmm. have some semblance. I mean, there, there are problems with modern agriculture anyway, and we've kind of touched on that in the past, but we could still have some semblance of, you know, um, farmers producing food for a community so that mm -hmm. the community doesn't have to produce all that food for themselves. Like this can still be, compartmentalized and not be as toxic as it is um it's just like like you said erica it's all about profit you know and obscene amounts of profit i mean and the politicians too these guys are pulling down sweet money for selling out their constituents but you know they're they're really just holding up the vaunted history of rats and politics mm -hmm. Yeah, and dare I say it's a it's a intended to you know make people sick and like Tiffany mentioned the the whole gut bacteria thing. I mean, look at the incidence of Crohn's disease or stomach issues. I mean, it's just mm. frightening to see how how many people are suffering from these stomach ailments that are obviously connected with diet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I even if it's purpose. Like when you put a bunch of psychopaths together at the head of corporations and you live in a fascist society, even if they don't intend, like, wake up one day and say, okay, let's kill a billion people and totally destroy the earth, psychopaths just screw things up because that's just the way they are. I mean, if you yeah. put yeah. a project in their hands, it's just going to turn to shit eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a it's a complete uh, inability for any kind of long range planning, entirely just mm -hmm. like profiting in the short term. So if you keep on on that uh, trajectory of of only profiting in the short term and not looking and you know even when you're have this 
unbelievable evidence of how the you know the current system is unsustainable just keeping on with it and uh you know well this got me a lot of money in the past so i'm just going to keep on going with it it's uh yeah. it, it's a recipe for disaster i wonder too i mean and uh i know in the other shows they've kind of talked about this a little bit too and um you know the difference between people who are Polarized. And I don't want to get too far off topic, but um, if our listeners are familiar with political polarology, polarized is a term for you know people in society who are affected by the actions of psychopaths above them. So even though they're not necessarily psychopaths, they begin to act that way or kind of um, you know uh, show those characteristics in their daily life or the way they think because that's what their leaders do. <clears throat> and then you have, you know, psychopaths uh, in positions of power who, like you said, don't have this capability for real long-term planning. They might have kind of short long-term, you know, like a few years ahead, like you can plan something, mm -hmm. but you're really just planning to rake in more profit. But it makes mm -hmm. me wonder about also this this other, like, you know, and I don't have any data for this really, but in, in my mind it makes me think of a, a certain class of people who are like, who are able to plan long-term, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and are just evil, you know, mm -hmm. like, like they're not just like crazy. It's all for me. Like they're actually planning destruction. And I think that there might be a, a very small class of, of these people who, you know, whether or not they're psychopaths, I don't know, like, you know, if they have a, a soul or they certainly, I would say, don't have a conscience, but there seems to be some kind of difference in there where they're, <clears throat> they're, they are actually out to, screw people over because it's sort of a, I don't know, it's like a sacrificial thing. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, that's, that's a whole area of speculation, but it, it makes me wonder. It's like they benefit uh, in some way from people's suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're feeding off of it, um, which of course yeah. psychopaths do, but they're, they seem to be able to, you know, think in terms of 10, 20, 30 years. Um, mm -hmm. So, well, definitely the medical industry is profiting off of it, big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are sick and they need all these medications because their diet is making them sick and it just becomes this treadmill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's see, what, what else do we uh, <clears throat> have on our list here today? I guess speaking of headaches, because this topic's kind of giving me a headache, so we talk about <laughs> headaches for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, let's see. We have some natural remedies for headaches here. Uh, mm. Doug, do you want to cover one of these articles for us? Yeah, sure. Um, well, probably the most interesting one of them was one that showed um, a study now, it's a small study, um, so, you know, you can't uh, necessarily um, make big conclusions from this, but it seems that a lot of people are being helped uh, with their migraine headache, headaches by uh, supplementing uh, vitamin B2, uh, otherwise known as riboflavin. Um, this article was from uh, the 30th, it says the 31st of August, but I think that's a, oh, no, 31st of August 2012, so this is even going back quite a ways. Um, but there was a, a study where they, um, they, put people who were regular uh, migraine sufferers on 400 milligrams of vitamin B2 per day. 
and they found kind of a massive decrease. What was it? 68% decrease in monthly migraines. So uh, these are people who were kind of chronic migraine sufferers, and they had a, a 68% reduction. Um, so what they are saying is that um, the uh, yeah vitamin so so migraines uh, basically happen when there's inflammation in the uh, the capillaries in the brain. Um, and what that happen what happens there is that those um, inflamed uh, capillaries actually rub up against neurons, and that is what kind of causes the all the different migraine symptoms. Um, so by taking the vitamin B2, you actually make the brain cells work a lot better, and it doesn't cause that inflammation. Um, so yeah, they don't they don't actually end up uh, uh, swelling and pressing on the nearby nerves. Um, Apparently, you have to do the 400 milligrams of uh, vitamin B2 because uh, people who tried it with 200 milligrams did not have the same effects. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty interesting um, article, and I think that uh, anybody who's suffering from migraines, uh, which are completely debilitating and, and really a, a horrible thing to have to go through, it's worth your while to try this, uh, this supplementation just to see if it works. I mean, on the one hand, it's not really getting down to the root cause of the migraine. Um, I think what really needs to be uh, done is, is some research on what um, is causing this, uh, this uh, swelling in the first place. Um, I think mm -hmm. my own feeling is that it probably has a lot to do with diet, uh, environmental exposure, um, you know, immune system response to what's in the diet and what, is, uh, um, what, you, what people are being exposed to, maybe EMFs as well something along those lines. Um, so I think that even if you do um, find some relief with the, uh, with the vitamin B2, it's worth your while to kind of look at your diet and uh, look at your uh, toxicity exposure and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, I don't think I've technically ever had a migraine before because I haven't had the sensitivity to light or the nausea or the vomiting or anything like that. But I've had mm -hmm. some really hellacious headaches uh, mm. headaches that will last for three days. I remember once I had oh. a headache that lasted for a month. I think it was kind of like sinus-oriented oh. headache. Um, but the thing that caused it was eating gluten. Mm. So yeah. once once I stopped uh, having gluten in my diet, I wouldn't get headaches anymore in case I was, unless I was, you know, accidentally gluten-bombed or if I was detoxifying mm. or something like that. The headaches kind of went away. And I'll have them quite regularly. Mm. I was going to say, Tiff, I think you months. said in a you you had said in a past show once that um, there were a couple times where you had gluten after you had quit and you got a really bad headache. Yeah, yeah, mm. and the headache always lasted for three days. I wouldn't take anything, oh, just kind of to let myself experience it. I could still function and go about my day, but three day headache, awful. Jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I had very similar experience, Tiffany. Um, I was a migraine sufferer for most of my young adult life, and actually it was the recommendation of a naturopath to cut out the wheat and sugar. Mm. And I tell mm -hmm. you, I have not had a migraine since, and they can be mm. debilitating. But like you shared, you know, if I eat something and it, I get gluten bombed, within, you know, 10 hours I start to feel it. It's It's amazing how quickly mm -hmm. it comes on and then it doesn't go away for like you said sometimes two or three days and it's almost like a low grade you know mm -hmm. pain so you can function mm -hmm. but it almost feels like you can't think straight 
and your mm. uh, perception is off. Like you've uh, you got inflammation in the brain, basically. Yeah. And you wake up in the morning and it's still there. No. You're like, Jeez. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's I another can't say I've ever... here, actually. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, I can't, I can't say I've ever suffered from migraines either. I've had some bad headaches in the past, but not uh, like what you said that people talk about, you know, hallucinations and, and uh, sensitivity to light, nausea, those kind of things. Um, but I did notice, uh, uh, just we were talking about gluten, uh, a similar thing that when uh, I first kind of started on the diet track and was going through all these different things and like, well, there's something here and not really knowing very much about it. <clears throat> the idea that there was inflammation in my brain was a total mind blower, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, <laughs> you know, I had never thought about that before. And I think a lot of people haven't um, touched on that topic. They're like, yeah, you know, if I get a hematoma or something like that, then there's inflammation there. Or, you know, if I sprain my ankle, there's inflammation. Um, you know, or if I, you know, even it's like, yeah, my gut can be inflamed and that's IBS and there's different things. But the idea that the information can be systemic and actually get into your brain, I think, is something that a lot of people um, are not aware of. Yeah, I think that that's true for sure. Um, you know, people always have these kind of uh, nagging issues, and, and nobody's really connecting the dots on it and, and putting everything together that it all come, can come back to kind of this um, the same cause. You know, one person might suffer joint pain, one, one person might have migraine headaches, uh, one person might have uh, digestive issues, um, but really it's all coming down to kind of the same, the same causes. You know, it's the gluten, it's the soy, it's the artificial sweeteners, the MSG, the caffeine, the GMOs, all, all that kind of different stuff. You know, I, I see it all the time when I'm just kind of working in, in the supplement store, like different people will come in with varying ailments and, and be looking for different things. And, you know, if I, if I ever kind of show somebody something that's not necessarily a, a traditional, like I'll, I'll, I'll suggest anti-inflammatories maybe for something, um, you know, like a natural anti-inflammatory like turmeric or something like that. And they'll be like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have, you know, joint pain. Why would I take this? And it's, it, it really like, you know, it, no, nobody really connects those things. They think that these are just kind of, you know, it's, it's luck of the draw. I, I happen to be a guy who gets migraine headaches. Well, no, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, there is actually a cause for this and, um, you know, there's, there's something that can be done about it. Yeah, when I was in uh, nursing school many years ago, one of my uh, teachers wrote on the board, <clears throat> inflammation is the root cause of all disease. And at that time, mm-hmm. I didn't really take it seriously. But, uh, yeah, the more I've read, the more I've learned, and the more I've learned about diet, I feel that that's really, really true. I mean, so once you get your diet in order and you kind of wipe out the major causes of inflammation, I think that'll go a long way in making you feel better. But then there's other, you know, natural remedies and stuff. If you get a headache or a migraine once in a while and you don't really know what the cause is, even though your diet is pretty tight. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Sounds like and there are a, a couple of things there. that can be done for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is actually another article here that, that talks about some natural uh, remedies. Um, it was uh, originally uh, published in Prevent Disease on July 31st. And, um, yeah, it, it, it kind of goes through some things, and I think it, it's a good idea. Um, if you are, you know, you're, you're trying to make all the, the proper changes and stuff and you're still getting things like headaches, 
maybe these things, although they don't get down to the root cause, are something mm-hmm. some things that you can try just for a bit of relief. Um, the number one they say is ginger. Uh, ginger is actually a really good um, painkiller. People don't usually think of it in mm-hmm. that way, but uh, it's got a, a couple uh, of different um, constituents in it that actually help with pain. Um, gingerols, peridols, shogols, and zingarone. So you don't really necessarily have to know those, but just know that ginger can be quite uh, quite good for it. So uh, having a ginger tea um, or even just chewing on a piece of ginger if you can stand the heat um, can be quite uh, quite helpful for reducing headaches. Um, they also mentioned... It helps well for uh, menstrual menstrual cramps too. Uh, mm. Ginger is helpful for that. Yeah, I've seen it in, in uh, joint pain uh, formulas as well. Like there's a, any kind of pain, really, ginger can be very, very helpful for. Yeah. Uh, the next one they talk about is capsaicin nasal sprays. Um, so capsaicin is the constituent you find in hot peppers. Uh, it's what actually gives it the heat. And the thing is, those things are, you know, it, it, it is a nightshade, so it is inflammatory. Um, so I think that maybe these capsaicin nasal sprays might work through um, hormesis, which is something we've talked about on the on the show before. The idea that you introduce a little bit of something that's not so good into your system, so that your system's natural um, uh, reaction to that will kick in. So you know, if, if you do have like a slight inflammatory reaction to it, the body's natural anti-inflammatory uh, systems will kick in. Um, so capsaicin nasal sprays apparently are quite uh, potent at relieving. Um, a lot of these uh, these migraine headaches are just regular headaches or something, so that's something that could be tried. Um, coenzyme Q10 and magnesium, uh, those two can be uh, a good kind of combo that can uh, can take care of it. Um, supplementing with those regularly is, is a good idea. Actually, magnesium is something that people should be supplementing with anyway because we do tend to have a chronic magnesium deficiency in this, uh, in this day and age, um, mostly because... Uh, our, our foods don't tend to have as much magnesium as they used to back in the day because of soil depletion. Um, they also talk about, they do mention vitamin B2, which we covered already. Um, essential oils can be quite helpful as well. Um, lavender oil in particular can be really good. Peppermint oil, um, all those things can help to um, dilate the, uh, the brain capillaries and kind of help, help with, uh, with blood flow there and can be helpful. And they also mention uh, stress reduction. You know, massage, yoga, tai chi, acupuncture, um, our breathing program, the Eru Olis uh, breathing techniques can be very helpful to reduce stress and uh, help to deal with migraines. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Peppermint oil? Because sometimes, well, I didn't use oil. I use like little peppermint flakes when I used to roll my own cigarettes. I probably used too much, but that would give me a really, really bad headache. Oh. So maybe it has the opposite effect for me. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. But again, I didn't use the I didn't use the oil. I used peppermint, actual peppermint yeah. flakes. It tastes mm. good though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wanted well, to touch on what Doug said about the the EE the Aerolis program. I have noticed um, in a lot of practitioners who do the program that just doing some pipe breathing, even, you know, 10 or 15 rounds, the pressure in the head really starts to subside. It's almost like stimulating that uh, parasympathetic nervous system really relaxes you, so it it tames the inflammation. Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's get all our natural headache remedies out on the table here because we are going to induce a couple headaches and talk yeah. about vaccines. <laughs> uh. The next topic and connecting the dots today, the uh, the intimidating topic of vaccines. Well, I guess intimidating if you um, if you're not informed, but it's just it's so divisive. Um, you know, relationships, friendships are being destroyed over this. Uh, the whole country is kind of being put into two different camps. And I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit melodramatic, but I, I don't really feel that way. Um, just seeing some of the reactions of people, you know, it's, it's come down to uh, threats, just like we saw with um, Dr. Uh, I forget her first name, Tenpenny. Is it Sherry? Sherry. Sherry, Sherry mm-hmm. Tenpenny, who got bomb threats at her, um, at her lecture that she was going to give in Australia about vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, information. Um, but uh, there's this new group now, the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, and Erica has some uh, some information on that and how that ties into the uh, the new push for mandatory vaccines. Do you want to introduce us to that? Yeah, sure. So there was an article on signs uh, by Brandon Turb- Turnville on July in July 2015 from the Natural Blaze, and it's called Corporate Lobbying Group ALEC is behind the uh, mandatory vaccine agenda. And um, as you were saying, Jonathan, they're actually not a new organization, but um, the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, they're considered a nonprofit organization, but it's basically made up of conservative state legislators and corporate private sector partners. the author says this mixture of government officials and corporate agendas meet uh, corporate agents meet regularly, replete with funding from major corporations across the world. They discuss, plan, write, and submit legislation that is beneficial to corporations. And um, basically, they're a massive corporate lobbying firm, and um, they actually write these. Uh, possible legislation and then distribute it among their members. Um, for those who are interested in learning more about this very deceitful corporation or organization, um, <laughs> Bill Moyers and company uh, did a presentation back in 2012 called the United States of ALEC. And um, he does an excellent job kind of just showing the information about them. And he states clearly that they're changing the country by changing the laws one state at a time. They draft model legislation with pro-corporate laws, and it's been going on for decades. And no one really knew about ALEC until the uh, shooting of Trayvon Martin and the Stand Your Ground laws. And um, basically that case brought ALEC into the mainstream media and um, there was a national spotlight on it, kind of surprisingly. And there was this organization called the Center for Media Democracy. They're a nonprofit investigative reporting group. And a whistleblower from ALEC had given them hundreds of documents for research and review. And um, it's about a half an hour video, but it just really shows you how, kind of like when we were talking about Big Pharma, this kind of mafia tactics. Um, their goal, he says, basically is to privatize everything. And what's so annoying 
is that they're, they are a 501c3, so they're a nonprofit organization, and um, they get uh, taxed. They get, it says uh, they have corporate members get to write off all money that they donate to, to this organization. And so uh, they get this 501c3 status because their mission is education, allegedly. So it's just mm-hmm. so, so disturbing. But to go on to that article about vaccines, um, they basically, according to this Alan Greenblatt, he says that Alec has been a force in shaping conservative policies at the state level. Today, its impact is even more pervasive. Its legislative ideas are resonating in practically every area of state government, from education to health, energy, environment, and tax policy. Roughly a 1,000 bills based on ALEC language are introduced in the average year, with about 20% of those getting enacted. It, It also says that ALEC is a major pusher of laws regarding medical issues, not merely in the context of the American healthcare system, but also in the context of personal choice. Big Pharma makes up a sizable portion of Alex's ranks, and they just list a few here like Bayer, DuPont, Eli Lilly, GlaxoKlein-Smith, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. So basically, the article goes on to say that there's no real surprise that ALEC would be one of the driving forces behind the recent spate of mandatory vaccine bills across the country. Its motto should be personal choice for corporations, government enforced mm-hmm. mandates for the people. Mm-hmm. And and I, I did a little bit of research on them because I remember back in 2012, there was all these what they called ag-gag laws being passed. I don't know if um, our listeners or readers had a chance to read about um, people who were investigating factory farm abuses. So back Mm -hmm. in 2011, the FBI decided to go after activists, calling them uh, terrorists, you know. And um, there's a few great articles on SOT back from that time, 2011-2012. One of them is uh, business lobby moves to criminalize filming animal abuse on factory farms, and that was carried by the Raw Story in 2013. And then another one was shocking, reporting factory farms abuses to be considered an act of terrorism if if the law passes. And so basically this ALEC, this organization, you know, wrote this legislation called the Animal and Ecological Terrorism Act designed to protect big ag and big energy. Um, it said ag-gag laws passed 20 years ago were focused more on deterring people from destroying property or from either stealing animals or setting them free. Today, ALEC-inspired bills take direct aim at anyone who tries to expose horrific acts of animal cruelty dangerous animal handling practices or food safety issues, really, and blatant disregard for environmental laws, such as protecting waterways from animal waste. So in the past, most of the exposure resulted from undercover investigation, uh, exactly the type of you know, exposure big ag wants to make illegal. So, you know, people would would go to work at these factory farms and they would take pictures or they would document the abuses and 
And, you know, the, these ag-gag laws were, were passed to really eliminate people reporting on, on these factory farm abuses. So they've got their tentacles in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to mention about the vaccines is, um, and Alec, is uh, Gary Knoll, who we talked about in a previous show, he did, you know, that... Uh, um, uh, uh, talk with uh, Bonnie Faulkner about uh, vaccines and they got cut off the air. Um, yeah. He wrote an article back in 2014 called Gardasol and Medical Torture, Child Abuse by Big Pharma. And basically, um, you know, he talks about Merck, a very evil corporation that, that um, brought the Gardasol vaccine uh, to market in 2006 with great fanfare and proclaimed that it was the first ever anti-cancer vaccine. But it was sure. fast-tracked by the FDA and rushed to market ahead of um, completed safety studies. And when Merck was confronted and criticized for aggressively marketing this product, um, they claimed it was performing a public service by raising awareness about the HPV virus and uh, again, you can see this whole kind of pushing of the ALEC agenda, right? So it says this lie was revealed when Merck was caught lobbying the 50 states for mandatory Gardasil vaccine prior to FDA approval. And by lining the coffers of such groups as Women in Government, or WIG, National Foundation for Women Legislatures, and of course ALEC, Merck was able to influence legislation such that almost immediately after the vaccine was approved, it was part of the vaccine schedule recommended for all girls in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. So you can see the, these, uh, this alleged nonprofit edu- educational organization has a lot of power to get these things pushed through. And so this mandatory vaccine situation is not really surprising when you look at the... Uh, organizations like this that are that are involved, you know? Yeah. And one thing about it is mm-hmm. it's so devious, like their their methods are so are so devious in a lot of ways. The the article, um the original article that we were talking about there, corporate lobbying group Alec behind mandatory vaccine agenda. Uh they talk about how they've kind of inserted propaganda through like media outlets and things like that to turn this into a a, a partisan issue. Whereas it used to be that the the vaccine debate, if you could even call it a debate, um, was was kind of it was bipartisan. It wasn't really um, tied to either the right or the left. It kind of transcended all those things. But they've managed to turn it into a a kind of partisan issue. And even though it is a um, uh, a conservative um, group, they've managed to kind of twist things in such a way that it's it's got um, liberals kind of. Um, supporting the vaccine agenda, and they, they even talk about in the article if if, uh, if these liberals knew that it was kind of all these these things that they're supporting now are kind of coming from Alec, which a lot of them actually consider to be a totally evil organization, they might actually you know change their minds and, and start to question what it is that they're supporting. Hmm. Well, there's another group. Go ahead, Johnson. Oh. Uh, I was just going to say the partisan thing is such a smokescreen. I mean, we're we're aware of that here on the show, I think. But you know, like Doug, like you said, you know, they they managed to take people who would like to call themselves liberals 
and basically shape their opinion to the point where mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, this is a this is a liberal agenda. You know, this is the government performing a public service um, when, you know, clearly <clears throat> it's not. And if if they knew that it was coming from conservatives, they would puke and mm-hmm. turn and run in the other direction. Um, but it's not like that even matters, you know, but this is coming from people or non-people who, you know, and by non-people, I mean like psychopaths who are mm. controlling the agenda of the country, trying to push things for profit, for control. Um, <clears throat> and the whole partisan thing <clears throat> is just a, a, a smokescreen. Like maybe if we could mm-hmm. use that somehow beneficially to help um, people see some vein of truth in this argument, that would help. But if it, then there's a whole other level of kind of uh, knowledge that needs to come after that, which is the party doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> Yeah, liberals aren't liber- liberals aren't even liberal anymore, and conservatives aren't conservative anymore. That's like none of this has any real meaning in the real world. So, no. end of rant there, I guess. Yeah, well, one one thing that was really interesting in that article, and I want to read it because I highlighted it. It was a a, a state a statement from Bertrand Russell back in 1953, and he says, mm-hmm. "Diet injections and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable." And any serious criticisms of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. So you can mm-hmm. see the agenda is just, again, frightening. And I know we've talked about this extensively, but ooh, it just gets your blood boiling when you when you look at how, how evil this and manipulative yeah. it all is. And and as you said, Jonathan, this whole you know conservative and democratic or alternative, you know, I mean, people are just so bought into it. it it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, and and for me, and, you know, I did write an article uh, last year um, for Signs About America, Vaxxer Nation. It's just, you know, the information's out there. I don't have the discussion with people about it anymore because it's such a heated topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's enough to give you a headache. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's, it's start so breathing. Easy. It's, yeah, it's yeah. It, it really is. You know, it's 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 like if you take that uh, that quote that you just read, Erica. It is very much like they, there's all these these things in place to make make it so people can't really think. And then you know they've got two choices. They can be conservative or liberal, and they kind of lean one way or the other, not you know realizing that it's the exact same thing. And it's like people are so easily controlled when they buy into an agenda like this, um, you know, I'm liberal, therefore I have to support everything that comes, comes forward in the liberal media, or I'm conservative, therefore I have to, you know, buy into everything that, uh, that comes forward in the conservative media. So it's like all you have to do is kind of control those two um, streams of information, and you basically are controlling a populace that can't think for themselves. Yep. Well, that's a recipe for it. But there's another group. There's another group besides Alec. Um, there's mm-hmm. an article posted on SOT. This was from March of 2015. Uh, the group is called NACHO, and that stands for National Association of County and City Health Officials. And uh, their membership consists of about 2,700 health departments across the USA. 
Um, they do have uh, like membership fees that don't go over more than like $4,500 a year. But if you dig deeper into uh, where they get they mo their money from, because uh, one of their tax uh, returns, they claim $25 million in revenue. And mm. they get their money from government and private grants. And the biggest agency that gives them their money is the CDC. So this group, mm. Nacho, um, they were uh, involved in lobbying really heavily in Oregon to remove personal belief exemptions for vaccines. Um, one of their proposals is to have immunization from cradle to grave, not just kids, but adults as well. Um, they also advocate immunization registries. So every time you get an, uh, an immunization, it's uploaded into a, a federal registry. So you can be tracked and you can, um, they can contact you if your immunizations are are you know not up to date so it's not just alec um there's this group called nacho um and what they're doing actually is illegal because if you get uh grants from the federal government you're actually not allowed to lobby congress to pass certain bills so they're actually violating the law not that you know corporations or uh government sponsored corporate front groups even care about the law, but what they're doing is actually illegal. So um, they mm -hmm. drafted a proposal, a federal proposal, to eliminate all of these uh, vaccine exemptions and just want to make it really, really, really hard for people to have any kind of uh, vaccine exemptions, whether it's for uh, medical or personal beliefs. They want to make it uh, so you can just have to jump through numerous hoops to get any kind of exemption. So that's their their long-term plan. Mm. So it's Alec and Nacho and probably other groups that we don't even know about. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, and in that this, uh, there's a another great science article, mandatory vaccinations are coming, medical fascism is fast, approaching fast, and Basically, it said the NVICAP, the National Vaccine Information Center for Ag Advocacy Portal, was tracking 58 bills across 24 state U.S. states in 2014, ranging from increasing the childhood vaccine schedule to eliminating non-medical, personal, religious, or philosophical exemptions. And basically... It says public health officials are joining with lobbyists working for pharmaceutical companies and medical trade associations to pressure state legislators to pass bills that require vaccine education and signatures of doctors or other state-designed health workers in order for parents to file non-medical exemptions to vaccines for their children to attend daycare or school. Pregnant women are also a target population and... Mm. Um, Healthcare workers, teachers, daycare employees, and students in nine states are targets of new legislation that pose, proposes to force children and adults to get federally recommended vaccines or suffer economic and other sanctions. From denial of employment and education to denial of parental rights to be informed if a minor child has received one or more vaccines for sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, it's it's frightening. 
and and we see it's been happening over the last two years. You know, it starts slow and then it picks up. Now it's, you know, on mainstream media and it, it's, again, another one of those things. It just gives you a headache. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and, and meanwhile, um, while all this is going on, um, there was a... Uh, kind of a, a whistleblower type situation. Uh, July 29th, Cheryl Atkinson wrote um, about uh, an article that we put on science. Uh, Congress hears testimony of CDC scientists admitting, admitting cover-up of vaccine autism links in black boys. So um, it was basically a senior scientist for the CDC um, made an unprecedented admission that he and his colleagues, he says, committed scientific misconduct cover up meaningful links between uh, vaccines and autism in black boys. Um, the scientist's name was Dr. William Thompson, and he says, quote, uh, the co-author scheduled a meeting to destroy documents related to the study. The remaining four co-authors all met and brought a big garbage can into the meeting room and reviewed and went through all the hard copy documents that we had thought we should discard and put them into a huge garbage can. Now, the scientist actually kept copies of this stuff because he thought what they were doing was illegal um, and it's a good thing that he did. Um, so it, it just it just goes to show like you know the, the whole um, vaccine um, autism uh, connection is basically in the public mind considered debunked at this point. You know they've, they've mm -hmm. had such a, a, a press campaign to uh, you know completely smear Dr. Andrew Wakefield who first kind of put this question forward you know, who dared to kind of do a study that uh, that might have uh, uh, drawn some kind of connection. And now, you know, after all of this um, campaign, it turns out, well, no, you know, there is actually a connection here, um, and uh, we just completely covered it up. Now, mind you, none of this has made the mainstream press. Um, so, you know, nobody, nobody is actually aware of this. Um, and it just, yeah, again, enough to make the blood boil. I need to grab some ginger. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, and um, a big part of this is just um, choice. You know, I mean, we all. <clears throat> I think we don't want to get into a crazy, like, huge legal discussion about Black's law and color of law and all that kind of stuff. Although that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, as a society, there are certain things that we agree on. Um, you know, like we would pay taxes. We pay like a gas tax and a sales tax to help maintain the roads, you know, and those kind of things and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like it all is supposed to um, work together. So people have gotten this sense that, yeah, well, um, I should trust the government. But like we I had mentioned earlier, there's this cognitive dissonance where people say, yeah, politicians lie. I understand they're dirty, dirty and crooked. And, you know, there are books of jo politician jokes, you know, because of that very reason, because we all have this kind of, uh, latent understanding of that. And yet when it comes down to um, issues like vaccines, as soon as something is into the public mind um, and they can utilize this sort of uh, propaganda machine that they've got in place where you can create a public opinion um, and then, you know, anybody who goes against that is, uh, is crazy. It takes mm -hmm. uh, choice out of the picture. It's like we here on the show, you know, we're not, Amish, no disrespect to the Amish, I actually think they're pretty cool. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're not, I'm not <clears throat> saying that like 
all hospitals need to go away, you know, or like the medical profession needs to be decimated. Like that's honestly, it's not my opinion. I think a lot of things need to be changed. Um, but you know, there are benefits to modern medicine. There are benefits to the increases in um, technology that we've had. Uh, yet, um, the, the problem that comes into play is like we've been talking about psychopaths and their influence on this system and how it all gets turned uh, towards profit. And if this mandatory vaccine thing goes through, it's not just that a lot of people are going to get sick and then have to get drugs, um, you know, or that a lot of people will be able to have their mind, you know, their mental capacity knocked down by being injected with things that are in the vaccines. It's not even all that. It's just that the the choice uh, is is overridden and uh, people uh, are going to make a lot of money. Some people are going to make a lot of money on this. And um, I guess I'm kind of losing my, my point here, but just seeing that they can create a public opinion, use that to override people's free will and then profit off of it is, is parasitic, you know, and it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's like a, it's uh, symptomatic of a larger problem in our society where we are so easily uh, taken advantage of. And basically you just see, I hear, take my money. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the, um, like you had mentioned earlier too, I think Tiff had said that, or Erica had said they were saying that this was a public service, not the vaccine thing, but there was something else that the, the company uh, Merck had said that Gardasil was a public service. Um, you know, the, the government is saying, here, we're helping you. This is a public service, but you need to pay for it. You're going to pay with your health. Uh, you're going to probably mm -hmm. pay with your life in the long run. And you're going to pay with the ultimate ability to make a, a free will choice about something. Um, you know, just like the Obamacare program, if you don't sign up, you get penalized, you know, and you're going to get a fee on your taxes for that. And now, so now I'm, I, if I don't want to get penalized, I'm in this system and I have to follow their certain rules, I can't make choices really about my own health care. And yet, on you know, on the public face of the things, well, it's free health care. Well, it's not free. That's bullshit. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's like, oh, this is great. This is a revolution. Um, this is such a huge new thing. And it's, it's really not. It's just another um, aspect of the control system and, and overriding mm -hmm. people's choice. So I think that's the thing about the vaccine issue that really bugs me. Yes, the, the yeah. contaminants and the toxic ingredients, they, they are also worth talking about. So I'm not discrediting that, but it's this idea that, um, you know, we know what's right for you and you're going to do this. And if you disagree, shut up, you know, or you're going to be mm -hmm. called an idiot and slotted off in the corner with all the other idiots and put your tinfoil hat on. You know? Yeah, it totally takes away people's right to self-determination. And that's the thing that really gets my goat about it, too, because... There used to be a time where if you didn't want to participate in something, people would say, okay, that's fine. We still have other customers. But it's mm -hmm. like we're being medically stalked. Like mm -hmm. when you're, you're dealing with a psychopath, you want to stay away from them. You don't want to associate with them. But these people are taking away your freedom to not associate with their product. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say no. They're going to come after you. They're going to defame you if you speak against them. They're going to take away your benefits. They're going to take away your right to work in some cases, like health healthcare workers um, being fired for not taking the flu vaccine. Uh, 
how dare they say, mm-hmm. I'm going to inject you with this and there's nothing you can do about it. So mm-hmm. that's the part that makes me mad. I don't care if people want to take vaccines. That's their their business. Non-vaccinators mm-hmm. do not force people to not take vaccines, but vaccinators want to force non-vaccinators to take vaccines. So that's the mm-hmm. part that pisses me off. So I get what it is. And Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and you see it like, oh, I was just going to share, I was going to share how this mindset becomes like um, ingrained. So just to use an example, in the state of Hawaii, everyone has to have a TB test to get a job, to go to school. And while it's not necessarily a vaccine, they're still injecting you with TB and then doing a skin read. And if you come out with a positive, then um, you have to go have a lung scan. But you literally cannot work in Hawaii or go to school without that TB test. It's Mm -hmm. basically, and this has been, you know, 20 plus years in the works. And it's not even questioned at all. Even a, a, an exemption is not going to get you out of that TB test if you want to participate mm-hmm. in any part of, you know, society, really. And and that's really frightening because it just becomes normalized in so many mm-hmm. ways, you know. Yeah. Oh, I want to get a job. I, I got to have this TB test, you know. And, and, I, and I fear that that's where this whole vaccine thing is going. I mean, on the signs recently, there was a an article about the chicken pox scare, you know, that, that they mm-hmm. shut down the hospital. You know, I mean, as somebody who didn't have chicken pox as a child, I got it as an adult. And, you know, I mm-hmm. couldn't go into the, the hospital, you know, because they didn't want to infect other people, but they just gave me, you know, um, it was actually uh, some sort of antibiotic, and I was fine. It wasn't like they went down lockdown and, oh, my God, she's got chicken pox and keep her out of here, you know. It was just kind of like, okay, I didn't get chicken pox as a child, so I'm dealing with it now, you know. I mean, it's just so it's gotten to this heightened state of craziness where everyone's paranoid, you know. Yeah. So that's well, I've had a couple situations like that on jobs that I've gone for. Um, they wanted me to get the MMR vaccine. Like, no, I'm not mm-hmm. getting that. I'm taking a titer instead. Or what was it? Chicken pox. Because I had chicken pox when I was five. They wanted me to get the chicken pox vaccine. I said no. So I had to pay to go to the health department and get a chicken pox titer. And another mm-hmm. time they wanted me to take a TB test. And I said, no, I'm not doing that either. Um, I'll be tested like through a blood test for TB, but you're not injecting that into me. I didn't say that in so many words, but I just mm-hmm. refused and I had to pay out of my own pocket to get a blood test for TB, which came out mm-hmm. negative. But it's all just, it's just, it gives me a headache. <laughs> <laughs> It almost, uh, well, then it, 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 yeah, it just becomes, you know, like your, it, it, it's like your life, your ability to survive is questioned. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you were saying, Tiffany, about, you know, it, it, you can't get a job because you're, you're against these kinds of things, you know? Mm-hmm. For all the parents who yeah, have to pull their kids or aren't allowed to have their kids in daycare or in school or something like that because they don't want to vaccinate their kids. It really does. It's starting to have a huge impact on on your day to day life. Yeah, and I, 
related to that, I think in that um, that uh, CDC cover-up about autism and black boys, I, I think I read another article where they tied it to, like, mandatory vaccines to get into Head Start. So a oh, lot yeah. of young black kids go into Head Start, and that could explain the higher rates of autism found in that particular population because they have to have those vaccines in order to go into daycare. Mm-hmm. And it seems since since uh, William Thompson came out as the whistleblower, they're pushing the MMR vaccine even more. It's almost like disregard all this information and get it. You got to get it. Yeah. It's it, it, it. One thing too about this the uh, the tendency towards um, violence and not not just physical violence but verbal violence as well, but also, speaking of physical violence, like Tiff, like you said, that, you know, people who want to express their opinions about vaccines, and you can do pro-vaxxer or anti-vaxxer, that's an easy way to categorize it, but I think there are problems with that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that a lot of people on one side of the issue, so to speak, are not, we're not saying that nobody should be vaccinated. We're saying, like, look at the, the truth about it, at least look at this, at least ask immunologists to, to open their mind and see if there is, you know, is there a different way to do this or, you know, is there an argument to be made for the fact that these things don't work at all, which I think there is. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I personally don't have any credibility in the public mind because I don't have a degree in immunology, you know, which mm-hmm. is another problem that this whole credibility issue. Um, <clears throat> but in seeing the tendency towards violence, um, <clears throat> it's just, it blows my mind. Like, I guess it's not ultimately surprising because we've seen it for thousands of years in, in humanity. It's just like, you know, public stonings, um, <clears throat> public lynchings in this country. Um, you know, and now um, what made me think of it was uh, I had talked to a guy. Uh, this is like almost a year ago now. who said that anti-vaxxers should be injected with fatal diseases so they can experience what it's like. You know, it is like, that's violent. That's a violent opinion. That's like that's like Ted Nugent saying immigrants should be shot, you know. Um, hmm. And the the way that people can be so easily swayed towards these opinions, people who are ostensibly what I think, at least in my experience, good and overall, like, kind people, um, you know, <clears throat> give them a public debate like this and just watch them turn into rabid, uh, animals watch like the mob mentality take over um, mm-hmm. and even like it, not even uh, making this up like there I think there was an article on science a while back about how there was an opinion going around that anti-vaxxers should be shot <laughs> you know should be uh, get, them out of the, get them out of the gene pool because they're stupid you know <clears throat> like it's it's this real quick like uh, quick slide into total non-thinking non-analytical mind just um kind of mm-hmm. go with the uh go with the, the mob um and yeah if they're against us they're weird they're dumb so they need to be gotten rid of um mm-hmm. it, it kind of blows my mind like i said it's not ultimately surprising but i am like geez why is this such a such an issue you know like and again coming back to what we've mentioned a few times in the show the influence of psychopaths um people if they get a chance should read the book political ponerology by andrew lobachevsky um because mm-hmm. that touches on a lot of these points how 
people who have no empathy for other people um, <clears throat> yet are not necessarily like violent serial killers like Ted Bundy, um, but they are much uh, more intelligent. They can get themselves into positions of power and kind of wreak their um, sort of sadistic havoc on the public at large. And then their way, their mode of thinking and their way of acting um, disseminates down into the public and people start thinking in the same way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess it's just really evident to me in the, in the whole vaccine issue specifically, um, <clears throat> not even like other things, you know, like, yeah, if you talk about gluten-free, you're, you're a weirdo, but that's no, that's mm-hmm. nowhere near as divisive as this vaccine thing because people have been taught even just like recently, it, it hasn't even been that long. I think it's been like two or three years uh, in the, the last two or three years that people have gotten to this point where if you are against vaccines or if you're trying to kind of express, uh, you know, skepticism on the topic, then you don't care about other people because you want other people to get sick. You know, that opinion has been firmly cemented in the public mind. It's just really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get my ginger out. I'm getting a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if people want to read more about it, Doug, you want to tell them the name of the article that we worked on together that was very headache-causing? And uh, um, Oh, no. I'm, you're calling me out here, Erica. I don't remember what it was called. Um, well, it was, like, it was like pro-vaxxers are the new... Oh, God. I know. I can't remember either. See, you got, got my brain inflamed with the topic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the pro-vaxxers are the new pro-lifers. Thank you. Yeah. And then there was some kind of subtitle to that as well. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely headache-inducing. And we drew some parallels there. And, and it was funny to read the comments, you know, because you go back a few few uh you go back and read the comments that people make, and most of it was good good feedback, and then you get the one guy that's, like you said, Jonathan, you know, oh, I hope you guys get the, you know, sick and die or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was one person on there who, who really seemed to object to the fact that we were talking about them as uh, pro-lifers, and that uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he clearly identified himself as a pro-lifer and was, was quite offended by by that. So yeah, and, the and then I think, I, yeah, I think Doug had to ask, did you even read the article? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, it was like the headline was enough to just send the guy over the deep end, right? So exactly, yeah. Well, and that's totally that's totally true. Um, I've actually have had an experience with a person in the past where I had shared an article on the topic of vaccines, and they said, you know paraphrasing here, but almost direct quote, I don't need to read that. I got all I needed from the title. Uh, It's like, what are you nuts? (laughs) You know, like quit arguing with me until you read it. You know? Yeah. Their mind was made up. Well, in doing the research for, in doing the research for the article, I shared with Doug that just looking for images, which there's a lot of great images in the article, that um, everything was just hating on anti-vaxxers. I mean, it was all just, you know, just Google anti-vaxxer images, and you, you, it's very revealing. I'll just say that. 
Yeah. No, it just it just is illustrative of the whole smear campaign, really. It's like they were taking all these popular memes um, and stuff and just twisting them so to to kind of promote this uh, pro-vaxxer agenda. Really, really, t- like that that was enough to make my blood boil in a lot of cases because I I kind of like memes. So to see to see them all uh, uh, twisted in this way really really pissed me off. Touch the nerve there. Definitely. <laughs> Well, it's like they're—it's like they're so seeding the public people opinion. People say that uh, people should oh, be criminally ahead. prosecuted for not vaccinating people, for yeah. or for not vaccinating their children. They should be sued for making their children sick. But if you look back in history, I mean, none of this stuff is unprecedented. Unprecedented. There was—I um, think it was back in the UK during the late 1800s or so when smallpox was around and people didn't want to be vaccinated for smallpox. Uh, they actually yeah. had fines. In some cases, they will put people in jail for not vaccinating against smallpox. So there's nothing new under mm-hmm. the sun. I believe that this has the potential to come back in the same way, and we're going to be seeing the same things. We might see some people with pitchforks and daggers surrounding yeah. somebody's house because they're not vaccinated. Yeah. It's not coming to get you. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it may sound paranoid, but I don't, I don't think that that's that crazy. Uh, I think they're, the, the, you know, whoever is doing it, uh, I'm not sure. You know, is there a let's screw the public secret council? You know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I do think that there are the some like forces. The council of public kind of, Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do think there are some like forces behind the scenes, but I don't claim to know who or what they are. Um, you know, and it's, so it's hard, it's hard to talk about that, but whatever, whatever the cause is, we look at the evidence, we look at what's happening and what we can see, the public mind is being seated on this topic. And it's, it's very similar to, um, you know, what happened in Germany in the twenties and thirties to where there were, you know, people, there were good German people who were afraid to speak out because the public mind had been seated on the topic of Jews in society and they were taught, you know, by the, by the Reich or by the power at the time, um, that, that this group, the Jews, but, you know, just insert group X who is outside of the norm, outside of the public, they don't have your best interests at heart. They want to screw you over. And so they're dangerous. And then when the, uh, you know, when the police or the Gestapo or whoever you want to call them come through and start, you know, prosecuting people and prosecuting and persecuting people, <clears throat> other people, your neighbors or people down the street, turn a blind eye to that because of that seed that's been planted in the public mind. Like, oh, yeah, well, I may not agree with it, but everybody else thinks these people are bad. And if I do say something, then I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, you may call me melodramatic for drawing a comparison between pre-Holocaust and like the vaccine debate. <clears throat> but I do think that there is a conceptual linkage here um, between mm-hmm. these two issues and what's what's been going on. Um, and just like, you know, uh, also during the slave era in the United States, when there were public lynchings, I have to imagine that mm-hmm. there were many, many people who were around at that time who were like, this is wrong. You know, this should not be happening. Mm-hmm. But they were so afraid to speak out because they knew that they would then be lynched, you know, that mm-hmm. they didn't do it. And that, I think, is, is starting to happen on this topic to where uh, I've 
I myself am I'm guilty of it. I've, I've pretty much quit trying to have any kind of a debate with people that I know about vaccines because of how divisive it is um, and just how heated the discussion can get. And it's like, you know what? It's just not like, let's talk about something else because you're not going to change your mind. Mm. And yeah. I'm, you know, not going to get my point across. And we're just totally hitting a wall here. Um, so I think it's working, you know, to the point where people are um, being segregated. This is a, a new form of, of mental segregation. I mean, it's happening in a lot of different areas. We can see it with food. We can see it with medicine, with politics, you know, with opinions about the war. You know, it's not even a war, but that's what people call it. Um, all these different things and society being split into these two camps um, where there's mm-hmm. the normies, the normals who go along mm-hmm. with everything. And there's the outsiders and the outsiders need to be kept outside. And if they try to come inside, then we need to kill them. Yep. Yeah. Well, I aim to misbehave. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and the the Alec and the Nacho are just one way that they're just really forcing that. You know, why not let write legislative bills and force these things? And you know, people are exhausted from working and sick from the food, and they just they give up. You know, it's like okay, mm-hmm. I'll just. Go along to get along, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You keep your head down. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a few other things on our list. So we, um, before we get back into another depressing topic, let's talk about gut bacteria for a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And speaking specifically of... Uh, depression, uh, we have this article here on science, uh, anxiety and depression caused by stress linked to gut bacteria living in intestines, scientists find. So scientists found this, so it's got credibility. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the scientists are, they have the final word. Um, As long as you've got a white lab coat. Yeah, exactly. Wait, let me, uh, well, that only takes you so process. far. If you speak out against the mainstream, I don't care if you are a scientist, they're going to say you don't have any credibility. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So if you have They'll a white coat and you go along with, a, with what everyone else says, then you're good. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yeah, speaking out, you risk actually losing your lab coat. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, uh, this article says uh, anxiety and depression could be linked to the presence of bacteria in the intestines, scientists have found. I think this is something that at least anecdotally we're aware of. Our listeners are aware of this. Um, uh, I've had personal experience with this where it depleted my gut bacteria, got depressed for like over a month. It was really marked depression that was unmistakable. Started mm-hmm. taking probiotics, started working on that, and felt completely better. Um, <clears throat> so in my mind, that's a very clear linkage. But this is a, a study on laboratory mice has shown that anxious and depressive behavior brought on by exposure to stress in early life appears only to be triggered if microbes are present in, uh, present in the gut. Um, the study published in Nature Communications demonstrates a clear link between gut microbiota the microbes living naturally in the intestines, and the triggering of the behavioral signs of stress. We have shown for the first time in an established mouse model of anxiety and depression 
that bacteria play a crucial role in inducing this abnormal behavior, said, now this is a hard name to pronounce, uh, Premisal Bursic of McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada. The scientists called for further research to see if the conclusions applied to humans uh, and whether therapies that the target intestinal microbes can benefit patients with psychiatric disorders. Um, previous yeah. research on mice has indicated that gut microbes play an important role in behavior. For instance, mice with no gut bacteria called germ-free mice, quote-unquote, are less likely to show anxiety-like behavior than normal mice. Now, what it seems yeah. like to me here that they're missing is the type of bacteria, right? That, uh, yeah. Because it's it's not just the presence of bacteria. It's it's which bacteria have overgrown, which ones are active, yeah. and is there a balance? Yeah. I think that was one of the kind of the limitations of this study because they did basically study um, mice that had um, some kind of traumatic experience in, in the early years. And um, they, uh, yeah, they, they found that they were more likely to experience stress and anxiety later on when they were kind of uh, stimulated in a certain way. Um, whereas those who, who didn't have, they, they wiped out all their gut bacteria, um, didn't have this reaction. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's really an interesting study because there's a, a lot that can be kind of gleaned from it, but um, I, the, I think the danger of the takeaway uh, message is that you should kind of eradicate all of your gut bacteria, which, you know, clearly isn't the, isn't the case. There is a, a, a lot of uh, communication that happens between the brain and the gut, and it's, it's found that, um, you know, the gut microbiota plays a significant role in this. Um, so I think that, you know, what, what you might actually be seeing here is that somehow the microbiota um, are, I don't know if the, the, the trauma is actually recorded by these microbes or the trauma is kind of recorded in the nervous system and then the microbes um, cause you to kind of re-experience it in the same way. Um, it, it's kind of hard to say just from the current study and obviously a, a lot more um, research needs to be done there, but I do think that that you're right, Jonathan. That you know, it's not it's not that you want to kind of wipe out all your um, all your gut um, bacteria. Um, but actually, a really interesting part of uh, the study, or maybe it was a second study, was that when they implanted the microbiota from um, the uh, traumatized mice into the uh, the ones who were germ free. Um, they found that the germ-free mice started to uh, experience stress in the same way and have this kind of uh, anxious disposition. So, um, yeah, obviously the gut, the gut bacteria plays a very strong role in this, um, in your emotional state, which is, you know, fascinating. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody would have uh, predicted this, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So really, really interesting stuff. Didn't we have an article a while back, too, about the link between um, vaccines and gut bacteria. Mm. I'm, I'm blanking on the title now, but uh, maybe just to tie the two, since we're doing connecting the dots, um, <clears throat> I seem to remember that. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was Dr. Wakefield's research, right, uh, Doug, mm. if I remember correctly, that the, um, I think he studied extensively the gut bacteria in autistic children, and that's what his mm. findings were that the vaccines were affecting gut bacteria. Yeah. Yeah, so it can be even strong enough to affect something as serious as uh, as autism. So it's not just kind of depression, which, you know, is, you know, depression is a pretty serious thing as well, but it can get even more serious to the point of, of autism. And, you know, there's so many different things that can affect your, your um, microbiome. 
You know, it's like there, there's the vaccines, there's the GMOs, there's, you know, even to the point of like drinking chlorinated water that they've found that it can um, have a detrimental effect on your microbiota, um, eating sugar, um, you know, any, any of these things can have such a detrimental effect. And that's going to affect you like your entire being. You know, it's not just um, your digestion. Like so many people just think of it in terms of digestion. And yeah, you know, that's an important thing as well, but it's your emotional state, like your, your entire being, like, you know, your ability to connect with, uh, you know, higher thinking, all these different things can be affected by this, this uh, gut microbiome. So the, the idea that you, you need to kind of take care of this and, you know, support it, you know, eating fermented food, taking probiotics, staying away from all the things that, uh, that can have a, a, a negative effect. Um, it's so important. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I'm not fully aware of all of these, but I am aware um, kind of nominally that uh, there are certain <clears throat> hormones like serotonin that are produ- produced in the gut. I don't know if all hormones are mm-hmm. produced in the gut, um, mm-hmm. but does, yeah. maybe you can speak to that a little bit like, that's, you know, like you said, all the, the hormones that control your mood and uh, mm-hmm. affect this kind of depressive state. <clears throat> if the balance is out of whack, you're not make, you're either not making them at all or you're not making the proper amount. Um, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, I think any of our listeners who have experienced um, what people call depression, you know, it doesn't, you don't even have to, you don't have to have been suicidal to have experienced depression. There are different forms of it. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a, it's definitely a very real thing uh, to the point where I think basically you just something is wrong. You know, you just feel off. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't concentrate, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it's not like something that's kind of up to your willpower at that moment. You just cannot do it when mm-hmm. you're feeling that way. And I think mm-hmm. the, the key to that is that you don't have the tools. Um, that you, you know, feeling is not something that you can just turn on or off. You can't just make yourself feel a certain way. There are cases where you know, this is reliant upon the correct balance of hormones in your body to allow your yourself to feel a, a sense of wellness. It's a it's a total yeah. kind of your body is a holistic machine. You know, and it requires a bunch of different components to function properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think there's you know people tend to look at uh, depression and and any other kind of like psychological state as as something emotional and very separate from the physical. Um, but I think that, you know, studies like this really illustrate that there is a very real physical component to this. And of course, that's not to downplay the emotional side of it. Like there, there certainly are uh, things that you need to do to get kind of a better outlook on life and, uh, to decrease stress, all those sorts of things. But the, the physical component often gets overlooked and people who are going through some kind of issue, you know, they go into talk therapy or they get, uh, you know, pharmaceuticalized or, or whatever the case may be. Um, when, you know, there's, there's a physical reason that they're having this issue and whether that be the microbiota, um, or some kind of, uh, chemical imbalance in, in the, the organism itself, um, you know, and these things can be targeted with diet, um, and with, you know, proper supplementation and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you're saying, uh, Jonathan, there's more serotonin actually made in the gut than there is anywhere else in the body. And I think that uh, really illustrates the communication that goes on between the gut and uh, and the brain and the rest of uh, the rest of the body. Um, you know, it needs those neurotransmitters to be able to communicate those things. So, yeah, um, just again illustrating how important it really is to have kind of what you need. You need to take care of the physical 
um, to be able mm-hmm. to um, reach the the, the the emotional state. Mm-hmm. There's another really interesting yep. article actually um, on signs. Um, it was called "It Takes a Village: Gut Bacteria Band Together in Mixes to Combat Infections," and that was published in. Uh, we have it up on Science, but it was originally from Science Daily um, in July. And it just illustrates a study that was actually showing that collections of gut bacteria actually do better than any one single strain at uh, fighting off mm-hmm. um, invasive microbes. Um, and you know, there, there was a lot of kind of uh, research here, but what they've actually they actually found was that it doesn't even necessarily matter what mix you have of your uh, uh, gut biome um, that they actually work cooperatively to kind of fight off um, these infections. Uh, so, you know, when you do have some kind of targeted antibiotic therapy that wipes out certain populations, um, that can allow more pathogenic um, populations to start to grow out of hand. And then the uh, the good bacteria can't really get a foothold, can't kind of start to fight back. And it might be because, you know, they're all working individually at that point. Um, but, yeah, this study has found that they will actually band together um, and and fight off invasions. So... Very interesting, especially to kind of take into the account of, uh, you know, service to others versus service to self. You know, it's not one one microbe fighting off an infection. It's a whole village, so to speak, um, banding together mm-hmm. and, and, and using their their uh, the different uh, um, strategies for kind of fighting fighting these things off. Mm-hmm. So that's why it makes more sense to take multiple different strains in your probiotic versus just one. Unless, of course, mm-hmm. it's, uh, was that one, Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG? That mm-hmm. one kind of provides food for all different types of uh, uh, beneficial bacteria that's in your gut? Yeah. Well, that one actually is, is interesting because it encourages the growth of other strains as well. So yeah. it, it might just be by introducing that strain, you know, you're, you're taking on a strategy of building up um, other beneficial bacteria as well. Uh, there's a couple of different strains that do that also. Um, I, I don't remember mm-hmm. the names of them uh, off the top of my head, but there are several different strains that actually don't e- don't just do something beneficial in and of themselves, but kind of um, provide the environment to encourage growth of other bacteria as well. So it's kind of building up that whole village. Mm-hmm. I liked your analogy between the service to self versus service to others, the idea that, um, mm. you know, this is like a, as above, so below kind of um, exemplification of community and how that, how it has to work that way. It's just another metaphor that we can draw from the way the body works. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's dive back into another, you know, sort of depressing topic. I suppose it's, it's, uh, mm. It can can or can't be depressing, but it's, there's been a number of um, really interesting uh, disease outbreaks lately. And um, we have Doug. Do you want to cover the first one here? It looks like uh, bacterial uh, spread infecting UTI or uh, affecting UTI infection. Yeah, this one was uh, was pretty interesting actually because um, it's talking about a bacterial mutation that um, actually is uh, causing recurrent um, urinary tract infections. So it was talking about specifically people, you know, sometimes people get a urinary tract infection 
And, uh, you know, they go in a course of antibiotics and that's it. But uh, there seems to be other um, situations where somebody kind of takes their antibiotic protocol and as soon as they stop the antibiotics, suddenly it comes back. So they were looking at um, the genetic profile of the uh, E. coli that's causing the, uh, the UTI and they found that they have a mutation where when exposed to antibiotics, they actually go into this dormant state. Um, they become spore-like. And this kind of gets into the whole uh, pleomorphic idea where, um, mm. you know, bacteria and microbes kind of have this ability or it, it's actually, you know, just part of what they are that they can change from one type to another. Um, and this is kind of fringe stuff, but there's a lot of evidence for it where these, uh, these uh, microbes actually uh, will change from one form to another. Some even say that, that bacteria will turn into viruses at some point if, if the environment is, is proper to it. So it's more about the environment that these microbes are exposed to and how they alter themselves to, um, to deal with that. So, you know, instead of, it, they make a distinction here that it's not, um, uh, that they're antibiotic uh, resistant, which is kind of a mutation where the, um, the microbes can actually um, create a protein that destroys the antibiotic. These, are, these instead are called antibiotic tolerant. And so any, any of these uh, microbes that have this genetic mutation will actually go into this dormant state, wait for the antibiotic to disappear, and then start proliferating again. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that the researchers called these, uh, these bacteria persisters. And, you know, they're, they're, um, what they say in the article to uh, combat this problem is to do pulsed uh, antibiotic treatment. So instead of uh, just doing on, uh, one course and then um, moving on with your life, you kind of do it in, in pulses. Um, I think a better uh, approach is to use, um, there's, a, there's a supplement out there called D-Manos, and it's actually a, uh, a sugar that's extracted from cranberry. So, you know, an old folk remedy for battling uh, UTIs is to uh, take cranberry juice. Well, that's because of this D-Manos. And uh, you actually don't absorb very much of D-Manos. It actually uh, just goes straight. You just urinate it out. Um, and what that does is it actually sticks to the outside of the bacteria um, more so than the bacteria sticks to the, the cell walls of the uh, urinary tract, and it kind of makes it so they can no longer stick to the, uh, the, uh, the cell walls and they get eliminated. Um, so that's, that's a way, I think, of, of kind of combating it because you're not, um, you know, changing the environment um, so that they will change, you know, into this other form and go into dormant form. They actually see the D-manos as food. So they're like, oh, good, food, and they like cling on to the D-manos, and then they get eliminated from the, uh, from the body. So it's kind of a strategy that won't kind of trigger them to go into their dormant state. Um, rather, it just gets rid of them. So, I, you know, they don't talk about this in the article, but um, knowing how D-manos works, I'm, I'm thinking that that's maybe a more um, logical approach. Let's see, we have uh, some other, I'm just looking at my list here, uh, some, some other uh, interesting outbreaks that have been happening lately. Um, with a mystery stomach bug hits the Swiss watch capital. Yeah, yeah there are people that had stomach cramps, diarrhea, and vomiting. Um, this is a place where they make uh, the watches. But I... Looked into this a little bit more again yesterday. It turns out that they found norovirus in the water, so it's not such a big mystery after all. Oh, okay. The norovirus has those 
types of symptoms. Um, there was a hospital I worked at. They had down the psych ward once because all the patients had norovirus and the staff were getting it too, so they just closed down the whole unit. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was norovirus. Yeah. There's another one. This was kind of like hot off the press, actually. One of our um, forum members wrote about um, in uh, Lancashire in uh, in England, um, 300,000 homes uh, told to boil their water after a parasite was found. Um, and this mm. is... Uh, what was it? Was uh, cryptosporidium, um, which is often found in fecally contaminated water. Um, so there's another outbreak here. They're all being told to boil their water. Um, yeah, interesting enough, this was actually an area that was um, being targeted by the fracking industry. Um, they wanted to mm. uh, to start fracking in this area. Um, it didn't go through, thankfully. So, uh, but I don't know. Interesting uh, kind of um, parallel there. But uh, yeah, they're all drinking uh, bottled water right now because of uh, of this outbreak. Mm-hmm. Another one here I think is <clears throat> pretty interesting is the surge in Lyme disease. Apparently, the CDC mm-hmm. has reported a 320 percent surge in Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's That's- it's generally thought that Lyme disease is uh, spread through um, tick bites. But it's interesting that there's a lot of cases being reported now where people say they weren't bitten by a tick. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the kind of response to this is like, oh, you were probably bitten and you didn't notice. But um, I'm actually wondering if maybe either the disease is mutated or there's a similar disease that isn't quite the same thing as Lyme, but it's uh, it's actually starting to infect people who, who aren't exposed to the tick bites. We're seeing mutations. Yeah, I think that's a a valid theory. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of you guys have any experience with Lyme, but uh, it is a really um, terrible uh, affliction to have. You know, people people who get affected by it and, you know, they go on these antibiotic treatments and sometimes they're effective, but it seems like a lot of time they're not, Um, you know, making me think that uh, that there's some research suggesting that they, uh, um, the, the, uh, microbes can actually um, hide themselves in biofilms or convert themselves to, similar to what we were saying about the UTI infections, they convert themselves mm-hmm. to um, kind of a more dormant state, um, and then they creep up again um, later on when the, the environment is more suited to them. So, yeah, really, really devious infection. Yeah, I think there's something to uh, there being like another infection similar to it, and they just call it Lyme disease. Mm. But um, there was this not, another article on site about a uh, doctor searching for clues to child paralysis cases mm. now suspect a different enterovirus, kind of in the opposite direction of what you said. Um, I think that this is similar to like polio, and they're just calling it uh, mm. acute flaccid myelitis. Mm. Um, and I think it could be linked to taking polio vaccine, but, you know, this article was posted from Science Daily. It was put up on site on the 16th. So there were uh, about over 100 children um, who mm. had these child paralysis symptoms. Um, they called it acute flaccid myelitis, and it began in the summer of 
2014, and they suspected it was caused by enterovirus D68. But then they tested mm. some of these kids for it, and it turns out they had a different enterovirus. Um, mm. But to me, it just sounds like polio by another name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard somewhere that uh, that polio, one of the reasons that you've seen it drop so much, and they like to, to credit that to the vaccine being very effective, but they've actually just yeah. labeled it something else. So it's, it's yeah. not that it's really disappeared. It's just they're now calling it something different. Mm. I seem to and remember I think it was up until about... 2000 oh. um, in the U.S., at least they stopped using the oral polio vaccine. But the oral polio vaccine, I mean, that's well known, well documented that you shed live virus and you can spread mm. polio that way. Yeah. So I don't think we use it anymore in the U.S., but that's another mm. factor to consider. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not entirely certain on this, but um, I'm just trying to remember if, because uh, I'd heard something a little while ago that there was a doctor who said he thought that, uh, was it Hashimoto's or Huntington's mm. or one of those auto, autoimmune conditions that was uh, that was actually polio, or that he thought it was polio. Hmm. Mm. I wish I could remember the name of which one it was. Well, I remember when we did the uh, the interview with the author of uh, Virus Mania, he had uh, yeah. a, a lot of uh, evidence that uh, the polio vaccine was actually the cause of a lot of these uh, diseases that actually came later. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember a lot of the details about that, but um, but yeah, I don't I don't think we can discount that possibility. Um, there's certainly you know, all these mystery kind of illnesses that are showing up, um, you know, a lot of times we just kind of think it's just this, these, these natural diseases just kind of come to the fore. But uh, how much of this is actually human-caused? Yeah. Well, it's been yeah. documented as well. The polio vaccine was contaminated with simian virus 40. Right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah really, how much of it is man, man-made? Yeah. I mean, a 320% surge in Lyme disease, like that's a huge amount. It's just like, it's like epidemic at this point. Um, you know, I had yeah. never even really heard of Lyme. I mean, I'd heard of it, but, you know, I hadn't heard much about it about five years ago. But now it's not mm-hmm. uncommon for me to run into people who, who are, are suffering from it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it really is spreading like crazy. Yeah. This makes me think of the... Uh kind of the effect that the, the media has on public awareness of this, like when we're talking about disease outbreaks, it just made me wonder, like, what happened to Ebola? I mean, I know that mm, Ebola yeah. is out there, <laughs> but it was like for a couple of weeks, it was going to destroy the entire planet. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah, makes I you what, wonder what they were covering up while all this Ebola hysteria was going on. Like what was going on behind the scenes that they wanted to distract people? Yeah, it served its purpose, and now they don't need it anymore. Right. Or you know what is what is still going on? It's like if you like you said, if you want something in the public mind, um, and you have a you know control over certain aspects of the media, you can just turn it on and turn it off. You know, Mm -hmm. there may still be like Ebola coming into the country in certain forms. Uh, into the United States, uh, but, you know, like, who's going to know about it if it's not the media? That's mm-hmm. true. You know, so hard to say. Yeah. Until the vaccine comes out. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. That's when we'll see it resurfacing again. Oh, we've got an Ebola vaccine, yeah. and oh, by the way, it's really, really bad. Yeah. And it's They're mandatory. Their time for the vaccine is finished. Yeah, exactly. Well, right now they've got all the political debates going on, so that's that's serving as a distraction right now. So they don't they don't need Ebola at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got Cecil the lion. That caused enough distraction. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And Bernie Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He may be cool, but if you make it into the the final running, it's I'm suspicious. Definitely. Well, uh, another kind of interesting parallel that comes to mind, like while we're talking about, you know, disease outbreaks and some of these things might be kind of scary, <clears throat> but it, what's interesting is in the dis- in the usual discussion of disease outbreaks, what doesn't usually come up, I think, is the um, kind of standard condition of, of Western health and like uh, diabetes and obesity. Um, those are two main things that are just, just blowing up all over the place. Um, you know, it's the, um, is it heart disease is like the, the number one uh, killer right now. Um, you know, and these are all like we had mentioned earlier, Tiff, you mentioned that your, your professor in, in nursing school had said that inflammation is the root cause of all disease. Um, and I think a lot of these kind of modern illnesses that you're, a lot of people think you're just going to get, um, you know, come from mm-hmm. inflammation. It's it's almost like now, as you get older, it's kind of like, well, what am I going to get? You know, because you got to get something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You can't you can't just live out your life and then die of natural causes. I mean, you're going to end up with diabetes or Alzheimer's or something, mm-hmm. you know, cancer, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just a, that that should also be included in any kind of a public discussion about disease outbreaks, um, you know, just the state of health uh, in our in our country, in the Western world especially. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, for- even just going back to the, the gut microbiome, you know, that, that your, your gut bacteria are kind of your first line of defense against any of these kinds of infections. It was really interesting. There was a, um, a case here in Canada a while ago where there was, a, um, a, I think it was a Giardia um, outbreak or something like that where, where um, all this well water was infected. And it was interesting to see that, you know, even though the whole community was drinking this well water, not everybody got the infection. Um, and it's kind of like, well, that, that never really got looked into. Um, but, you know, I, I really wonder how much of that had to do with, you know, what people's gut, the state of people's gut when they were kind of um, exposed to this. So you know you have this this line of defense, all these good bacteria in your gut. If your if your gut's in good condition, um, and you have a healthy microbiome, then it has the ability to kind of fight off these outside infections. It has the ability to to deal with a foreign invader. Um, whereas if you're on a crappy diet, your microbiome is in a horrible state. You've got all these pathogenic, um, you know, bacteria. Um, then you know taking in something like this just kind of tips the scales. And you you suddenly succumb to this infection, so yeah, I think it, it definitely you know keeping keeping a, a, in a healthy state is your best defense against any of these kinds of outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, kind of leads us into our last uh, 
topic and connecting the dots for today, uh, talking about sugar. And um, let's see, uh, Tiff, do you mind introducing us here to this uh, this article? The, the food industry has hidden their knowledge of sugar's toxicity. Yeah, this was uh, posted by uh, Dr. Mercola. Um, there's been a lot of focus on how saturated fat is so evil and how it's responsible for heart disease and high cholesterol and all that, but no one's paid much attention to the damaging effects of sugar. And actually, um, big sugar, if you want to call them that, like the uh, sugar corporations have known about the damaging effects for sh of sugar since I think it was the 1960s or the early 70s. Um, mm -hmm. There were um, there was this documentary called uh, The Secrets of Sugar, and uh, it tells how the food industry has known about the links between processed food and disease. Um, so they had uh, about 1,500 pages of memos, letters, and reports um, that were buried in the archives of sugar companies. And uh, there was this book also called uh, Pure, White, and Deadly, came out in 1972. And there was decades of research that was pointing to sugar versus fat as the cause of obesity and diabetes. So... Um, I guess over the years, um, there's been all these sugar apologists. One of them was Ansel Keys, and he's known for uh, promoting the theory that uh, saturated fat causes heart disease. So he launched this smear campaign uh, against uh, Yudkin, um, and he was a British nutritionist, and he was the one who pointed out that, that sugar um, plays a factor in obesity and diabetes. So Ansel Keys kind of smeared Yudkin's reputation and called him a quack, and mm. all the sugar research kind of came to a stop at that point. So yeah. that's basically the, the gist of that article. But, you know, since nobody is really investigating how sugar is so uh, disease-causing, um, there's about 100 million uh, Americans who are diabetic or pre-diabetic right now. And uh, no one's really looking into how sugar causes this. They're all just s focusing on saturated fat, even though mm -hmm. it's kind of now saturated fat is kind of getting a little bit less demonized. Um, mm -hmm. And people kind of ignore sugar still. But some of that yeah. is going away because people are uh, kind of coming to the the conclusion that at least high fructose corn sugar is pretty evil, even if they don't mm -hmm. really, you know, kind of raise a ruckus much about uh, table sugar. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, <clears throat> like a lot of it comes from uh, the diet, of course, um, but, you know, looking at the spectrum of the diet, it's not like where your grandparents, you know, made lemonade once in a while. Um that is necessarily dangerous. You know, they, they were eating a lot different back then. Mm -hmm. Now it makes me think of like the, the movie, um, super size me where he showed at the end that, um, you know, they kind of rail on these fatty, greasy, salty foods as being the cause of this problem. But then he showed that in, if somebody has a steady fast food diet, they're eating over a pound of sugar a day. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, and he piled it all up on the table. And that was the really kind of impressive scene there where it was like, this is what I ate in a month, the 30 pounds mm-hmm. of sugar, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. just, High fructose just, corn syrup is, is found in so many processed foods. Like I went through this long list yesterday. It's like almost in everything, like cereals, of course, but then like condiments and some uh, pickles even have high fructose corn syrup, but you would never even think it would be in something like that. And then, you yeah. know, of course, uh, sodas and all that stuff. But, yeah, it's in everything because it's so cheap yeah. because it's subsidized. Yeah. Well, let's uh, – I guess we'll we'll bring our, our show uh, to a, a semi-close here. Today we still have to go to um, – Zoya's uh, pet health segment, and she wants to talk to us uh, today about uh, immunity um, and vaccination uh, in pets. So uh, let's hear on that topic from Zoya, and then we will be back to uh, wrap up after this. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. In one of the previous shows, we already discussed the topic of vaccinations, but I would like to talk about it again, especially since August, apparently, is a National Immunization Awareness Month for humans, and many veterinarians decided to co-opt it. The topic of vaccinations has always been controversial. While those who are anti-vaccines talk about criminal deception by the big pharma and those who are pro-vaccines claim that anti-vaccine peeps are ignorant and lack proper knowledge about how the immune system really works. So who's right? Well, first of all, go over the previous shows because this important topic was already brought up several times. It is indeed true that there is a deliberate obfuscation of the issue and great push for unnecessary vaccinations by the big pharma and mainstream doctors who can't hide their contempt toward anyone who questions the need for so many vaccinations, while in reality they are the ones who lack understanding of how the immune system really works, not to mention veterinarians who repeat the annual vaccinations mantra, while for several years already the recent official guidelines for vaccination talk about every three year or even the benefit of doing a tighter before each vaccination. But as my personal experience of volunteering in the city clinic shows, uh, the doctors there never heard of the three-year rule. And why would they when annual vaccinations constitute the lion's share of the profits? As for ignorance and lack of proper knowledge, this is the gap we are tra- going uh, to try and fill it uh, to t- during this little uh, segment. As usual, I'm going to use information shared by my favorite natural veterinarian, Dr. Karen Becker. So, as I said at the beginning, apparently this month is a National Immunization Awareness Month. The goal is clearly to promote vaccinations through uh, the word used to describe the month-long awareness campaign is immunization, not vaccination. This is a hugely important uh, distinction. If a dog is already immunized against, for example, distemper, there is no benefit to his health in vaccinating him against, uh, again against distemper, but there is a risk of adverse side effects each time a vaccine is given. 
And so, the truth is that if the traditional veterinary community was truly interested in ensuring pets are immunized against disease, they would be promoting antibody titer tests. To measure each animal's immunity to the core canine diseases, distemper, parvo, adenovirus and rabies, and core feline diseases, panleukopenia, calicivirus, herpes and rabies. Unfortunately, the majority of conventional veterinarians prefer to simply revaccinate every pet um, every year without establishing uh, whether the animal is already immune to the disease being vaccinated against. And as I mentioned before, the reason they revaccinate each year, it's because if they wouldn't, it would greatly reduce their profits. For example, removing the one-year rabies vaccination for dogs alone could reduce a veterinarian's income 25 to 30 percent. And this example involves just one type of vaccine and just one type of pet. One conservative estimate is that over half of dog uh, visits and nearly three-quarters of cat vet visits are for vaccinations. In my personal experience, the rest of the reasons, except for emergency cases, have to do with improper diet, especially when it comes to cats. Doctors make fortune on urinary obstruction in cats, including visit costs, treatment, and then buying fancy specialized dry food, when it was the dry food that caused the problem in the first place. In any case, back to our topic. When you consider the the markup on vaccines, the number of vet visits uh, scheduled only for immunizations and the typically short duration of those visits, uh, the vaccination business can prove very very lucrative for veterinary practices that uh, promote it. Veterinarians aren't the only ones making a living off vaccination shots. The drug companies who manufacture vaccines have enjoyed year-over-year sales increase for well over a decade. The U.S. is the largest consumer of vaccines by a, large, by a huge margin over uh, any other country. Okay, so what is the difference between vaccination and immunization? Vaccination and immunization are not one and the same thing. Immunization is the outcome of effective vaccination against disease and or exposure to a disease that the animal recovers from. The act of administering a vaccine doesn't automatically mean the animal has been immunized against the disease. However, this is the assumption. In order to make sure your pet was indeed immunized, Better run tighter tests within a few weeks of the last round of puppy or kitten shots to ensure immunity has been achieved. When an animal is successfully vaccinated against certain uh, disease, distemper, parvo and adenovirus in dogs and panleukopenia in cats, and become immunized, they receive uh, what veterinarians call sterile immunity. Sterile immunity lasts a minimum of seven to nine years up to maximum of lifetime immunity as measured by titer tests. This means the pet cannot become infected nor will uh, will, uh, they shed the virus should they be exposed. Since the disease Uh, Since the diseases of distemper, parvo, hepatitis, adenovirus, and panleukopenia are everywhere, the risk of exposure is constant. Other types of vaccines, typically non-core vaccines, called bacterines, 
against bacterial-derived uh, diseases such as Lyme uh, disease, leptospirosis, bordetella or kennel cough, uh, canine influenza, a virus but uh, one that mutates constantly so vaccine is not cons- uh, consistently protective and others do not produce sterile immunity. These vaccines last a year at the most and antibody levels against those diseases as measured by titer tests decrease with each passing year, meaning lifelong protection is questionable. Dr. Karen Becker recommends to run IFA, immunofluorescent antibody titer tests, for parvo and distemper because they give a clear-cut answer. Either yes, the animal is protected, or no, the animal is not protected. Serology and other testing methods can be confusing for owners. For example, a low serology or blood score doesn't mean the pet isn't protected against disease. It's possible an animal may still be protected for up to a year or longer thanks to immune memory cells. For purpose of comparison, veterinary core vaccines are similar to human polio and MMR, uh, like measles, mumps, rubella vaccines that uh, provide lifetime immunity. Non-core veterinary vaccines can be compared to a human tetanus vaccine, which is also a bacterium and may not last uh, for a lifetime. So how to play it safe and smart with pet vaccinations? Discuss what kind of vaccines your pet needs and how often with your veterinarian. It is strongly encouraged uh, for you to try and find a holistic vet to care for your pet, especially when it comes to vaccinations. If you can't locate a holistic vet in your area, make sure not to, make, uh, not to take your pet to any veterinary uh, practice that promotes annual or more frequent revaccinations. Also try to avoid any boarding facility, groomer, training facility or other animal service that requires you to vaccinate your pet more than necessary. Look for pet care providers who accept antibody titer tests. Ensure each vaccine your dog or cat receives meets the following criteria. Your pet should be healthy. Animals must be healthy to receive vaccines. So if your pet has allergies, endocrine issues, organ dysfunction, cancer, or is a cancer survivor, or another medical issue, he or she is not a candidate to receive vaccines. It is uh, Another criteria that you need to meet is that it is for a life-threatening disease, and this eliminates most of the list, most on the list immediately. Another criteria that uh, your pet has the opportunity to be exposed to the disease. For example, indoor cats have little to no exposure. Another one that vaccine is considered both effective and safe, and most aren't. Another one that you shouldn't vaccinate a pet that has had a previous vaccine reaction of any kind. If you do vaccinate your pet, ask your holistic vet to provide the homeopathic vaccine detox. Rabies vaccines are required by law, but insist on the three-year um, ex- instead of the one-year vaccine and request the uh, homeopathic rabies vaccine detoxifier from your holistic vet. If your pet is young, ask to have the rabies vaccine given after four months of age preferably closer to six months, to reduce the risk of an adverse reaction. And sick pets should never be vaccinated against rabies. 
As for the type of tests uh, being expensive, well, there are some labs that offer them at a reasonable price. Uh, so let's all celebrate National Immunization Awareness Month by remembering that the words vaccination and immunization are not interchangeable and that ensuring your pet is immunized against disease does not mean uh, subjecting uh, him to automatic vaccinations uh, at regular intervals. Well, this is it for this segment. Uh, have a nice weekend. All right. Thank you, Zoya. Maybe I'm tired of those goats. <laughs> <laughs> so some really good information there on uh, vaccinations for your pets and what to do and what not to do. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, we're going to wrap up uh, for today. So I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and all of our chat participants. Um, just uh, keep your wits about you and basically, you know, don't <clears throat> don't take uh, what's in the media at face value. Do your own research, look things up, try to find out what's going on. Um, we just encourage everybody to uh, to kind of do their own legwork and uh, educate yourself on these topics of health and wellness. Um, so be sure to tune in to uh, the other two shows here on the SOT Radio Network, um, Truth Perspective, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern and Behind the Headlines on Sunday uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, there's some really good shows coming up, and we will be back uh, next week, Friday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, so thanks again, everybody, and we will see you next week. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs>